Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast and rainy day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andrew Latimer, Managing Director of Varsity Packaging, one of the UK's leading stockists and suppliers of carton boards and grey boards. Andrew, Hello. Good afternoon, Matthew. How are you? I am well, and thank you for coming on the program. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, Leader? Yeah, that's an interesting one for me because um, I'm just an ordinary guy as such. I don't really see myself as a leader. Um, But yeah, I suppose uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I run the company. Uh, but I don't feel that there should be any real hierarchy as such. Um, I'm just part of a team of individuals um, to all understand what they need to do uh, to make things right and all happy to support and help each other when needed. So mm-hmm. I would thought leadership really is, is just being um, on the team and not, uh, not being too overbearing, being available and um, encouraging and willing to support. Now, with your personal leadership style, uh, was there Mm -hmm. a particular individual at the start of your career who molded you the way that you are, or is this uh, through years of experience? So it's probably how I was brought up. Um, My dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, He served in the Navy in the war. Um, When he left the Navy... Um, he started his own dry cleaning business. He had a few shops, worked extremely hard. Um, I sadly lost my mum when I was in my early teens. Um, and I suppose like any child, you, you want your, to look up to your father. And, and to be honest, he was a legend to me. So, uh, I helped him in the business a little bit when I was in my teens at school and things in the summer holidays. And he just brought me up right and, showed me how to do things correctly and, and treat customers well and be fair and, and uh, completely transparent in what you do. So I think probably mm-hmm. through that, that brought me, you know, a way of doing things. I wouldn't say it's everybody's way, but it certainly suits how I do things and it um, gets me by and, you know, and the business does well. What separates a good leader from a bad one? Uh, it's a difficult one, that one. Um, I would say a bad one is someone who doesn't listen. You must always listen. If someone's coming to you with a problem or a concern, be it a member of staff or a customer or even a friend, uh, sit and be quiet and listen to why, why they're saying it, how they're saying it, and absorb that and respond accordingly. I think that's someone who then your member of staff feel valued um, a bad leader is someone who's, who, who hasn't got an open door policy. I mean, obviously you can't be available to your staff 24-7, but making yourself available, I think, ensures they feel very valued. Mm-hmm. And I think like any human being, you want to feel valued. And that way you create far more engagement from your staff um, and they care about what they do. And I think, unfortunately, if someone doesn't appear to care for their staff, then uh, they don't care back. So, uh, yeah, I think 
just listening is 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 a difference. Now, of course, uh, leading a a business or a team. Uh, has one thing in common, and that's the management of humans. And humans are fallible creatures, which tend to uh, get into disagreements with each other on occasion and sometimes can be ill or or other things. How do you handle uh, these sorts of things within the workplace? Um, Strangely enough, we haven't had very much of that. I think um, when you employ someone these days, it's very hard uh, for young people to get on the career ladder. Uh, even people with degrees have to go through faceless tests and um, things on the phone to uh, before they can actually meet the person that uh, they, they might possibly be employed with. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like to, to meet the person very quickly and I, I tend to gauge that individual and as to whether they're going to fit in uh, within probably in the first couple of minutes of the interview. Um, and I think once you know you've got the right person that's the right fit for your team, you tend to not get too many conflicts. Obviously, not everybody gets on with everybody all of the time. But if any issues arise, then uh, the important thing is to, to get the people together and just talk about it. Um, and I think that's the simplest way to keep the team cohesive. So it sounds um, like a, the, this all begins at recruitment. Yes, it does. It does, really does. Yes, I think you've got to be very careful who you bring into a quite a tight-knit team of people. You don't want any person who's going to be um, disruptive. Um, at the end of the day, everybody's got to care about each other. They want to work hard and look uh, after each other to a certain degree. So whilst we're colleagues, we're friends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, ultimately, all we want to do is for the business to be successful and for us to enjoy what we're doing. Now, what's, uh, what would be the first piece of advice that you give to a new member of your team? Listen. <laughs> I think I said that earlier. But listen and be aware of, of uh, how the business runs. Take a lot of notes when you're shadowing someone. Don't just sit there and nod your head. You know, actually write things down. It's amazing when you write things down how easy it is to retain the information and you can always refer back to it. Um, and just be polite. I think the one thing I've always learned from my father and from life is it really isn't that hard to say please and thank you or to ask a question with some, you know, um, some grace. And I think if you do that, um, you get a lot more out of people and people are willing to help you and, support you and and spend time with you so that you can learn the job much more thoroughly. And then I think you probably embed yourself in the team a lot quicker as well. So uh, but things frustrate me in life when people don't say thank you, even when I'm driving to and from work. Mm. And if, if someone's trying, you know, trying to cross the road and you allow them to cross and they ignore you, I get frustrated about that. Just a simple wave or a nod or, uh, something really is it's not that hard. And you can do that in business as well. The minute you pick up the phone from someone, even if you don't know much about the business and what you're doing in your very early stage of your career, the first thing to say is thank you. Let me listen to what you need. Mm-hmm. I'll make a note of it immediately and I'll speak to someone. I'll get right back to either myself or one of my colleagues will. And you make sure you pass that inf- information on very, very quickly. 
Um, now, of so, course, yeah, I think, please carry on. Sorry, no, that, 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 I think that keeps things fairly simple for, for everybody to understand how, how you can uh, be successful. Of course, you're absolutely right. Uh, civility is the grease which makes the world go round, and uh, it does make things far easier if people are just civil and polite to each other, which is, I think, a lesson that people could really use in, in business. Uh, it is one of those things that uh, most of the best leaders I speak to are incredibly civil and, and they, they have this uh, innate respect for people they work with and and people have respect for them. Unfortunately, you have a lot of people coming into the workplace today or uh, looking to be uh, entrepreneurs today who have learned their style of leadership by watching certain um, television programs uh, that pit people against each other in a supposed workplace. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just not how real business operates. Uh, it just does not work. Uh, and it's good to hear uh, someone state that so eloquently. Unfortunately, our time together is uh, very quickly uh, running to its close. But before okay. I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Varsity? Um, still have the background of uncertainty whilst the, uh, uh, the general election is evolved in with a, a majority government. So we've now got a strong leadership and Brexit is now a bit more clear. We still have the uncertainty of uh, how the negotiations will pan out because we've only got a very short period in which to uh, agree a free trade agreement. My business is highly reliant on importation because we only have one producer of our products in the UK. Uh, we import, export and, and frictionless trade is massively important to us. So we've got a, a you know watchful eye on how discussions and agreements take place towards the middle end of this year to ensure that we keep uh, a free flow of supply of our products. But if things are looking bad, then we'll be making contingency plans in the last two quarters to make sure we've got plenty of stock in the UK to uh, support our customers should there be any disruptions. But I'm, I'm relatively positive about the next uh, 12 months, uh, as I've always been. I tend to concentrate on our business. I don't look too closely at the competition because I think what we have is a very strong offering. So uh, really, most of the time, I tell our staff to uh, talk about ourselves and and make sure our customers are fully aware of what we can offer them. So, uh, yeah, I'm positive and, and quite excited, to be perfectly honest, about the future. And I hope all my team are as well. Well, Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. Please come back on the program anytime you'd like. Uh, Andrew, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Neil. That was Andrew Latimer, Managing Director of Varsity Packaging. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? (laughs) Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who who do Google me realise that I did... uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire 
in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. 
And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up 
really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? 
so the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we... You've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that 
Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United. And subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. 
when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.